Hello and welcome to livealittlehigher.com. Welcome back to learning Hodot Halevavot, Duties of the Hearts, the monumental work of Rabbi Ba'iya Ibn Pakuda. And we're finishing the, the gate of, of Emunah, Sharpe Pitahon, I'm sorry, of, of trusting God. And, um, and Rabbi Rubinstein, in his book Refuas Halev, where he explains the Hodot Halevavot, he tells us that there's a certain type of people who demand from God a promise and a guarantee. There's people that say, oh, I'll, I'll become Shomer Shabbat if uh, Hashem gets me work. Or I, I'll eat only kosher if my kid gets well. And so he says here that intrinsically their position is no different from that of a businessman. Uh, who seek a deposit from those they do not trust to guarantee that they will fulfill their part of a bargain. Like in business, it's very common that you're gonna buy some uh, something, uh, whatever you're gonna buy, big, big, big uh, expense, and they ask you for uh, a deposit. So this can be either because they do not believe them to be honest, or they suspect that they will simply be unable to make the payment they have promised. So those who demand from God a promise and a guarantee, basically they're refusing to, to, to consider keeping their part of the, of the arrangement unless they too receive a pledge. So they require a guarantee for themselves and their families of, of a comfortable income for life. So the first question and challenge that you should pose uh, to those who take this position is as follows. You are a person who doubts whether people's behavior and actions are governed by Hashem. Like, I know this is very hard to come to the conclusion or the concept or really know that God runs the world. You know, today with the coronavirus, I think we all learned that lesson. Hashem does run the world. And he goes sometimes against what we want and what is comfortable for us. So, so we question Hashem and, and, and do not believe that his powers are infinite. We think that things are, are because it was bad luck or it was chance or it was um, a, a conspiracy theory or whatever you might think that is what's running this show. But in reality, it, everything comes, everything's orchestrated from the king above. So we see that the perspective on this matter has been blurred by your attachment to the passions and desires of the world. And Rabbi Elkanan Wasserman, uh, of blessed memory, in his first essay, Kovet Shiurim, points to a problem in the writings of the Rambam. In his Sefer HaMitzvot, the Rambam says that the first mitzvah is to know that Hashem exists. This is number one to know that Hashem exists, not to believe that Hashem exists. One thing is to believe. To believe is, yeah, I, I believe, but to know that He exists. In his Moreh HaNebuchim, he writes that apart from those who reach the level of prophecy, prophecy of Ruach HaKodesh, divine intuition, no one reached a level like that of the great philosopher Aristotle. So he's saying that the Neveim, the prophets, 
of, our, of, of the ancient times that we don't have prophecy anymore, were in a very, very high level. And that Aristotle, the philosopher, had reached somewhat that level. The problem is that if knowing Hashem exists is a mitzvah, it becomes obligatory for a child uh, older than 12, a girl, and 13, a boy, that they have to believe that God exists. And so how then could the Rambam expect a boy or a girl to supersede the intellectual level of Aristotle, who did not believe in God. He was an agnostic, he was an atheist. And, and he says here that the word philosophy means lo lover of knowledge. This is what a philosopher is. He's a person that loves knowledge, that is always learning. And the Rambam was saying that Aristotle was the greatest of those. Like he loved knowledge, he was thirsty for knowledge, he was always uh, learning. So the rabbis point to the fact that Aristotle was not only a philosopher, he was a philanderer. So someone who loved the debauchery and sinners. He was, I don't know how to say it in this class because it's not righteous, but he, what we would call today, he would be a sex offender, okay? Or he would be, um, you know, one of those guys that uh, harass women. So if his passion for the pleasures of the world were greater than his passion for wisdom and truth, we would expect it to win any debate or conflict between the two. So intriguingly, there are contemporary manuscripts that say that at the end of his life, Aristotle accepted the truth of the Torah and he even converted to Judaism. So he then struggled to recant his previous teachings. The Greeks say that at the end of his life, he went mad, that he was crazy, he was cuckoo. But of course, from a Greek perspective, a Jew is a crazy person. And, um, and so it would have been the same. So only from, so the intriguing point is that in those manuscripts it says that he converted at the end of his life. As a person grows older, his desires for, you know, for this, uh, this uh, lewdness of, 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 of uh, actions naturally diminish. And we would then expect that in any debate or conflict between the two, the truth would dominate since Aristotle had let go of the pleasures of this world, his conversion should not be uh, such a surprise. So in his essay, A True Apicorus Never Existed, uh, Rabeliahu Dessler writes, in truth there never existed anyone who truly was an Apicorus. It, there's no person in the world that became an Apicorus. Apicorus is a person that leaves uh, his Judaism, that a person that renegates from his Judaism. Um, because deep, deep inside, he, he, he feels he's Jewish. So when someone says that he doesn't see evidence or proof of God, he knows in his heart that he is hiding from the very obvious and apparent evidence and proof. What he really means is that he doesn't want to see the proof or hear the evidence. So it's not such a thing that people don't believe in God. Everybody believes in God. Today, I think everybody believes in God. The thing is that people don't want to believe in God. And from there, he's able to embrace all of the passions and desires of this world, at least for a while. So only from a business associate or friend would it be appropriate to require surety. After all, you have no other control over him. However, would you not agree that someone who is an employee earning a wage 
would not demand a pledge from his employer. Certainly that would be true if he asked for the pledge before he did the work. So we see people work, they're expected to be paid. It's not like you have a housekeeper coming into your house and she tells you you have to pay me first before I do my job. She knows you're gonna pay her. And if you don't pay her, she'll never come back. So how much more would it be inappropriate to say that a servant to demand a guarantee for, from his master before he begins to serve him, the inappropriateness is infinitely, infinitely greater when a person demands a certainty from his creator before agreeing to serve him. So when a person is going to do a, a, a mitzvah, when he's going to take upon himself something new, where he's going to, for example, he's going to start praying, he's going to start keeping Shabbat, whatever, he's not... It's not nice to expect from God a payment for this. We should do Leshem Shammai for the sake of heaven. So your relationship with God is like that of a king and his servant. The thought of a servant asking the king for a wage simply does not apply. In fact, in the classical model of servant and master, the servant would be offended at the very thought of being paid for his service. So we discussed this idea before quoting the Mishnah where it says do not be like the servants who serve his master to gain reward, rather be like one who serves not to get rewarded. So the idea of a Jew demanding a promise and a guarantee before he even considers fulfilling his role, what he is expected to do is clearly a monumental chutzpah. Chutzpah is like a, to say chutzpah is um, how do you say that in, in English? I don't think there's a word for it. But you understand what chutzpah means. It's like, it's ridiculous. So this theme is expressed in the verse, is this how you repay Hashem, you disgraceful, you unwise people? Of course, he's your father and your master who made you and established you. So we see in Devarim that Hashem is the one that gave us life. He's the one that made us, He fashioned us, He invested in us, He put us in this world. And we're expecting, it's like when you bring a child to the world, you bring him, you love him, you sacrifice for him, you pay the school, you pay the clothes, you pay everything. But you're not expecting your kid to pay you back. You, you, you just want a good kid, that's it. You want to love your child, that's it. You're not expecting him to pay you back. So the same way should be with us and God. So I leave you here. I wish you a blessed week. And remember, live a little higher. Thank you.